0: Good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We gather together every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person. In person, we have kids' church. We gather together in worship through song and in prayer and in community as we submit ourselves to the Word of God. Then we gather throughout the week in small groups uh, that meet online and in person. You can email groups at faithonhill.com. For more information, we also have youth group that meets on Tuesday nights. Now, next Sunday is Father's Day, and I know that that is awesome for some people, and it is tricky for other people, uh, but we do want to acknowledge and celebrate the dads in our church. We're thankful for the dads in our church, and so if you are in person with us next Sunday, uh, we'll have a little treat for the dads, and uh, we'll honor them in person. If you have a Bible, open to the book of Revelation chapter 17. Uh, that's where we will be today. And then last of all, um, you know, one of the things about being kind of like a smaller community church is we're a little bit nimble. We're going to take a trip to Mexico the very last week in June. Uh, that We will leave Saturday the 23rd and uh, head on down there for about a week. Cost is about $250 plus incidentals. And if you're interested in going, uh, you can email me, adam at faithonhill.com for more information. Or, you know what, if you would just say, hey, I can't go. But I'd love to support the work you guys are going to do down there. We're going to meet with, uh, work with orphanages and uh, do evangel- evangelistic gospel work as well. Uh, you say, hey, I'd like to support that work. You could email me at adamfaithonhill.com and you could uh, find out how to support, or you could just go to our website, faithonhill.com, and uh, do online giving. Um, And you could support that way as well. And that's uh, true anytime. Uh, If if you consider Faith on Hill your church or you're blessed by the ministry, if if you've watched our our podcasts, our videos, our live streams, you know that we don't make a big deal about money. I think I mentioned this maybe three times a year. Uh, But since I was already talking about it, I'll talk about it here. Uh, You can go to faithonhill.com, go to giving, and you can support the ministry that Faith on Hill does online. Uh, Everything that we do, we, we do free of charge. People need prayer, people need counseling, people come and say, hey, can you help me out with this bill? We, we do this as a service to our community because we love our community. That being said, it costs money for the you know, website and the servers and the things that we do to make the online stuff available. So if it's a blessing to you, uh, we appreciate your support and your giving as you worship the Lord. All right,
1: we're going to go back to our study in the book of the Revelation, and we are going to talk about the fall of the future Babylon. So this is not the first time that I have taught the book
0: of the Revelation. I've taught it two times before. In fact, I think I've taught it more than any book of the Bible. That's not something I'm like super stoked about either. Uh, the first time I taught it, I was a youth pastor in England. And I just decided, you know, I was, I was teaching the Bible to the youth group. And I was like, you know, I've never taught this before. Seems interesting. I'll, I'll teach it. And then the second time, I was doing a church plant in a different part of Manchester, England, several years later. And the people who were part of that that fellowship asked me to teach the book of the Revelation. And I said, you guys don't want me to do that. It's a bummer. And they're like, no, no, we really want you to do that. And uh, so I said, okay, I'll teach the book of the Revelation. And Revelation goes like this. You know some of this already. Revelation starts out like, ooh, because Jesus is there and he's writing to the churches. and then. Chapter 4, chapter 5, we see the throne room in heaven and Jesus the Lamb is victorious. Oh my goodness. And then chapter 6, he starts opening seals and making stuff happen. You're like, okay,
1: this is going. But then from chapter 6 through to chapter 18, judgment, judgment, death, destruction. People refuse to repent. People who do repent are killed. It
0: gets to be a bummer. So this is not the first time that I have taught the book of the Revelation. In fact, I think I've taught it more than any other book of the Bible in the last uh, 23 years or so that I've been teaching the Bible. Uh, That wasn't by design. The first time I taught it, I was a youth pastor in England, and I was teaching the youth group the Bible, and I thought, Revelation, that sounds interesting, let's teach it. And then the second time I taught it was several years later, and I was leading a a church plant effort in a different part of Manchester, England, and the people who were part of that fellowship said, hey, we'd like for you to teach the book of the Revelation because we want to understand it. I said, you guys don't want me to do that. And they said, why not? I said, because it's a bummer. And, and they meant, what do you mean? Now, some of you guys know this because you've been going through Revelation with us, but chapter 1, 2, and 3, man, it starts off strong. Jesus is there, and we see him in victory and in glory, and he has a message to his church, And then in chapter 4 and chapter 5, we see heaven, and Jesus is there again, and he's victorious, and he's powerful. And then in chapter 6, he starts to open the seals, and things start to happen, and we go, oh man, Jesus is setting things right. But then, from chapter 6 through chapter 18, it's judgment, judgment, judgment. Wicked people doing wicked things. They refuse to repent. Those who do repent and follow Jesus, they're killed for their faith. And then it's, you know, these people die. And this part of the planet is devastated, and this horrible thing happens, and it's a
1: bummer. It's a bummer. And, and so I'll be honest, we've been here, what, like six years or so? I've stayed away. We've, we've gone
0: through a lot of the Bible in the last six years, but I stayed away from Revelation for a while because I just remembered the, the slog of getting through chapter 6 through chapter 18. I haven't felt that way this time. Now I think some of it has to do just where I'm at as a you know personally in my own faith and my understanding of the gospel. And some of it has to do with the fact that we have chosen to not go through Revelation like it's a, a Bible college course, which I think is the mistake I made definitely the first time because I was fresh out of Bible college. But we've gone through it with the gospel far more in mind. And and so it hasn't quite felt the same way to me, and I'm really thankful for that. That being said, I am looking forward to Next Sunday, we get into chapter 19. Things start really getting good and victorious and amazing.
1: So thankful for that. Now we're going to talk a bit about Babylon today. Babylon, of course, was this ancient
0: city. It is one of the oldest cities in human remembrance. Uh, Babylon existed in some form, at least back to the time of Abraham and and the Bible and and Tradition and, and early human history tells us that there was a settlement there in Mesopotamia uh, between the Tigris and the Euphrates Into ancient times And then Babylon because of its location along a river in a relatively dry uh, part of the world was able to thrive and fr- th- uh, thrive and flourish and the river, of course, like the Nile to the west, um, and the you know, like the um, the rivers in in Eastern uh, Asia, like the Mekon and the the Yangtze and the Yellow River, these different river systems. Uh, because of the the Tigris and the Euphrates, they were able to have trade up and down the river system, getting out to the sea, getting up into the inlands. Uh, because of its geographic location, it was sort of a spot as East traded with West. Uh, the Western cultures in in Africa and Europe. Would bring their goods through to the uh, you know the Indian subcontinent cultures and further along as the Silk Road was developed, it became a central spot. It became a place of power. And by the time of the people of Israel and the Kingdom of Israel, Babylon was a major power. Now, of course, we know Babylon conquered Jerusalem and took uh, the Southern Kingdom of Judah into captivity, and that's where we get the Book of Daniel. It's where we get Ezekiel, um, you know, Nehemiah. Ezra, all of these stories revolve around Babylon. Babylon was this center of ancient power. And in the book of Genesis, we're told that Babylon was founded by this guy Nimrod, who was a defiant warrior, hunter, ruler. He was defiant in the face of the Lord. And that kind of set the tone going forward. Babylon was this center of ancient mysticism, paganism, occult, idolatry, Antichrist. And then, in the time of the New Testament, Babylon was still around, but it was not what it used to be. Alexander the Great had conquered it. It still existed. You could have still traveled there, but it wasn't the seat of power and dominance that
1: it once had been. But in the New Testament, Christians referred to Babylon metaphorically, meaning
0: Rome. In fact, uh, Peter. In in the book of First Peter, he says, "Those of us who are here in Babylon greet you." And and they, he was referring to the church in Rome greeting those that Peter was writing to. And it was sort of a code word. Hey, yeah, we're here in Rome, and things were bad, so they maybe had to use it as a code word uh, so that they didn't give away their location, or it was just a kind of a shorthand metaphor. Um, hey, things are you know we're in Babylon. It's the new it's the new center of antichrist It's the new center of idolatry, of power, of, of occult. All of these things would have been true of Rome. And so the shorthand was used for that. Now, we've already seen in the book of the Revelation, there's reference to this Babylon the Great. We've seen it referenced in previous chapters, but we're going to talk a lot about it today. Chapter 17, verse 1, one of the seven angels who had had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, and I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery. The inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit to a wilderness, and there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns, and the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, and was glittering with gold,
1: precious stones and pearls, and she held a golden cup in her hand, and it was filled with abominable things, and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, and of the abominations of Of the earth. So John is
0: saying, I saw this, but it's mysterious. I don't totally understand it. That's something to remember. Because, like I said earlier, in the New Testament, Rome was referred to as Babylon. And there is a reason that we'll get to in a minute why people think that this might be referring to the city of Rome. But John's saying it's mysterious, it's not quite as clear as we would like it to be says that this woman is a prostitute. She's sitting on a scarlet beast that sounds a lot like the dragon we saw in previous chapters. And yet we're going to see in a minute, it's not referring to the devil, but it's certainly referring to a system, a power base that is demonic in its very core and nature. It says that the kings of the earth were, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of of her adulteries. We don't think of religion this way, right? We think of religion as this place that you go and you pretend to be very, you know, holy or or stuffy or stuck up, right? We go party on Saturday night and then Sunday morning we go to church, you know, or if you're Jewish you go party on, uh, you know, Thursday night or Saturday night after you've been to, to temple or synagogue, you know, the, we go to these places, the mosque, to temple, to uh, church, Uh, To synagogue, to wherever, and we go to these places and that's where we live in holiness, but then we leave and it's something different. Yet, the Bible here is describing people going to these places and they're committing their adulteries. Interesting. Now, in John's day, and I would argue through the most of human history, that's probably more true than not. Uh, Almost all References to prostitutes in the New Testament, outside of Israel, it's a little bit different there, but references uh, to prostitution in the New Testament would have been talking likely about temple prostitutes, meaning they didn't go to church or or their version of, of, you know, sacred worship. They didn't go to the temple or to the wherever and then, you know, act Stuffy and and stoic and and you know very chaste and that whole thing and then they'd go party somewhere else. No, see they would go, and they would go and there would be drug use directly linked. I've talked about this before, but the word we use for sorcery is is the word uh, pharmacia, and that's what's talked about as sorcery in the Bible. But we get our word pharmacy from it. Drug use was incredibly linked to pagan occultic practices, as was sex, prostitution, the temple prostitutes. You would go, and there would be these, basically their version of nuns, except they weren't celibate. You would sleep with them as an act of worship. So they wouldn't party Saturday night to go to church on Sunday and look good. They would go party at their religious ceremony. It could be speaking of this, in part. It could also be speaking of when you think about How many nations over the years have used religion, and I will be the first to say yes, including the institutional church, they've used religion to commit their sins and their crimes, empire building, uh, power base building, wealth gathering, corruption, all of these things,
1: and they use religion as as a kind of a part of the, the power building. Could be that's what it's talking about.
0: Verse 6, he said, I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people and the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Do you know how many people have been martyred for their faith? Not by
1: secular mobs, not by foreign pagans, but by the church, institutional church
0: that some of the most well-known martyrs of Western Christianity were not killed by Muslims, were not killed by Buddhists or Hindus. Wait, Hindus and Buddhists, they're like super peaceful, aren't they? None. Don't even get me started. But they weren't killed by Hindus, Muslims. They weren't killed by primitive tribes. They weren't killed by communists and you know, atheists. They were
1: killed by the institutional church. John Huss was burnt at the stake by the church. Others, uh, you
0: know, you can start going down the list of people. Uh, I mentioned in person on Sunday morning last week um, about Hugh Latimer, burnt at the stake in England. There's a place near London called Smithfield that you can go, and that is where Christians were killed for their faith by the church, linked with the government, and that was all linked for power. I mean, the whole story of the Reformation in England was really a story about King Henry just trying to uh, take up with different women. But these, this whole idea of power in the church, and you can see what John is talking about. She, this, this woman representing this false religious system is drunk on the blood of God's holy people. And when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. And then the angel said, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides which has seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come out of the abyss to go to its destruction. Interesting. So the beast she is writing, it's been around before, may not be around currently, but it'll be around again. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast. That's basically everybody who's alive at that time who is not a follower of Jesus who's not a true believer. They will be astonished when they see the beast because it once was and now is not and yet is come. So, so this idea of something ancient coming back will astonish the inhabitants of the earth. And by the way, most inhabitants of the earth would be astonished by this. America's way of seeing modernity and youth and forward thinking is actually the world's minority. The two most populous countries in the world, China, India. Actually, India is more populous than China and probably has been for a while. But India, China, other massive-sized countries, Russia, Pakistan, uh, huge parts of Asia and Africa, they, their cultural perspective would far, far more in line with this than America or Western Europe's would. It's a very white, Western-centric view of things to, to see things only in that mold but the Bible says they're going to be astonished because something ancient is returning. This calls for the mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. Now, that's an identifier. And that is why people think that this woman sits on these seven hills and it's referring to Rome. Because Rome famously is a city built on seven hills. It's astonishing to me, by the way, how many cities are built or claim to be built on seven hills. I was born in Seattle, Washington. Seattle is a city built on seven hills. Uh, There's Capitol Hill, First Hill, Beacon Hill, uh, Queen Anne Hill. There used to be Denny Hill until they did the Denny regrade. Um, And then uh, when they knocked that down, they actually annexed Crown Hill, so it kind of all worked out. Uh, So there's all these hills that Seattle was built on, seven hills. Moscow actually claims to be built on seven hills. And that was a big claim they were making about a thousand years ago because they were trying to you know, compete as the seat of Eastern Orthodoxy versus Rome and the Catholic Church. And so they were like, yeah, we're the new Rome. We're built on seven hills too. Other cities, there's cities in Africa and Asia, uh, there's cities all across the world that claim to be built on seven hills. But in their day, that's what Rome was known as. So I think this is an indicator that even if it's not directly Rome, it's something like what Rome was in that day. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast who was and is not is the eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. So what it could mean is There are these rulers that have kind of come out. Um, You got the four beasts from Daniel. And then you have, you know, maybe there's here, this guy, that guy there. But there's one coming who is different. But he's kind of in the same vein, uh, the same mold, maybe even the same general ethnicity as these previous kings. The ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received their kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose, they will give their power and authority to the beast and they will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is lord of lords and king of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, the waters that you saw, where the the prostitute sits, are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages, and the beast... The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire, for God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over the, to the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Let's unpack all that. So, the Antichrist, according to what uh, the angel is telling John here, will come to power. And there will be 10 kings who sort of rule under him, 10 rulers, regional rulers, governors. I don't know how they'll be uh, officially described, and I don't think it's worth trying to figure that all out. But the idea is that even as the Antichrist takes all this power, he can't do it by himself. So he has these kind of regional administrators who will do it. But they're all yes women, yes men to the Antichrist and they are going to use this false religious system the woman who rides the beast they are going to use that system and that that power base and that people for their purposes oh they'll enjoy part of it right they'll get drunk with the wine of her adulteries but they'll also use her for their own purpose friends it doesn't matter whether your politician is right left old young doesn't matter if you think that you have found a politician who is going to you know champion our faith understand that history tells us time and time and time and time again that people will use the church for their own purposes and this is no different it's no different now it was no different then people will use the church for their own purposes and so somebody comes along and you say what about that person people use the church for their own purposes all the time growing up in seattle just a happenstance of when i was born and where i was born and also a little bit where i went to church i've met a lot of well-known musicians and so many well-known musicians made their made their start on the back of the church and then when they got big enough they disavowed the church and they went off on their own way and they've spent the last 20 plus years disavowing the church tearing down the church, ripping on the church, even though they wouldn't have their career without the church. And, and, you know, I can tell some stories. But my point is, people will do that. And that's what's happening here. They'll use the church when it suits them, when it's pleasant for them. They'll use the, this false religious system when they need it, when they want it. But at the same time, they are going to leave it destitute.
1: They will, they will betray this system. They will kick it to the curb when needed. That's what's going to happen. So, you think about it this way. We know that the devil is going to have his Antichrist.
0: And that Antichrist will have a, 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 a hype man, a, a false prophet. Uh, you know, Somebody who's going to go around and say, See how great this beast is. And this false prophet will likely lead a, some kind of amalgamated religious system. You know, they'll find a way to amalgamate Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and Sikhism and Jainism and Zoroastrianism and, and regional faiths and different forms of Christianity will all be merged into this false religious system. It says the mother of prostitutes, these, all of these different false religious systems will merge together in some way, shape, or form. I don't claim to understand how it's going to happen. Do I see how? peace will be established between the, the Muslims in Pakistan and the, the, the Hindis in, in India? I don't. But that's what the Bible's talking about. There will be this sort of religious unity that will happen. And people say, that seems like a great thing. Oh, you think re- human religion and organized religion is bad right now? Imagine it at a larger scale. That's what's going to happen. And then it says, verse 1, chapter 18, After I saw this, another angel came down from heaven, and he had great authority. And the earth was illuminated by his splendor, and with a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen! Fallen! Is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons, and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. So there's two things happening here. Well, three things, really. First, the angel is declaring the fall of this false religious system. Second, that this place physically has become a dwelling place for de- for demons, and third, it has become a place where immorality runs rampant. The the idea of this haunt for unclean birds and detestable animals what it's saying is they have just given themselves over to whatever they want to do. There was the law of God said these are things that you are to do, aren't supposed to do, and they are going to just do the opposite. It will be a dwelling place for demons. Someone asked me a while back, you know, if there's any credence to the idea that there are
1: physical, geographical places that are strongholds for the demonic. I'm very open to that idea. Um, On my honeymoon, we flew
0: from Seattle, San Francisco, we rented a car, we were supposed to have like the most economy, you know, cheapest economy car. Guy found out it was our honeymoon and went and upgraded us to a brand new Camaro. It was a Awesome. So we drove up the 101 in this brand new Camaro. I, I, I'm not somebody who sees demons around every corner or says, this is, this is unique in my experience. But we came into Eureka, California. And I've never wanted to leave a place so quickly. I've never felt so much spiritual oppression as I did in that moment. And, and that whole time I was there, we were eating lunch. We were walking around. There were some historic uh, houses we looked at. I just was like praying, like, Lord, be with the churches here. Be with the Christians here. Um, it's It's a bad place. And then when we lived in the Bay Area for a couple of years, we had people in our church who had grown up in that area. And they told us about the stuff that goes on there. Demonic activity linked to massive sin, murder, abuse, Substance abuse, it it, it was sort of the breadbasket of of the drug production for the west coast of the United States. Uh, And that's changed a little bit as decriminalization and
1: legalization has happened. But it's it's a bad place. Physical sin was directly linked to demonic activity. But it's falling. Verse 3, for all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed
0: adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Now, my friends who are atheists, who have a very secularist bent, might say, exactly. That's a part of the Bible I like. Religion is all about, you know, excesses and, you know, the earth, the maddening wine of her adulteries. And you can think of things like Jamestown and the Branch Davidian and these different cult groups that have gone on murder sprees. and Uh, mass suicides and abuse and all of these things and you say exactly the merchants grew rich from her excessive luxuries and you see how much money you know the catholic church has or any large institutional church has Uh, and it
1: it is insane I say absolutely but what they fail to see is this is just the spiritual side there's also the secularist
0: side the kings of the earth the power the corruption all of these things that are going to happen that have nothing to do with this religious system. And then I heard verse 4, a voice from heaven say, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. And here, this angel is actually quoting the Bible. He's quoting Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 45. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share
1: in her sins or any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, And God has remembered her crimes. Who are the people? Come out of her, my people. Who's he speaking to? I think that there's probably multiple applications to those verses. But let me give you two. First, there will
0: be people literally in that day, living in that place, who are secret believers.
1: And there will be some warning. Get out now. I tend to be kind of literalist there. But I'm also
0: metaphorical in my approach to this verse. I believe that there are secret believers spread throughout the world in different false religious systems. I believe that there are secret believers, people who have personal faith in Jesus. They know the truth. They love God. And they're stuck in false faith. The Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons are not just different denominations of Christianity. They preach a false Christ, an antichrist. And yet I believe that there are believers among them, and God is calling them out. I believe that there are Christians, true Christians among institutional church organizations, think places and groups that call themselves the church, but have rejected the ways of God. And God's saying, Come out. Now I do know that there are people who are called, they feel called to be missionaries to these groups. I know people who go to Churches that deny the gospel because they feel called
1: to go be a missionary. I'm not God. I can't speak to you or what you're called to do. But I think, in general terms, maybe there's a
0: unique, specific calling that somebody has that is different from general terms.
1: But in general terms, I believe God is calling his people out, out of false faith, out of heresy out of churches that deny the gospel. And by the way, you can be a
0: progressive church and affirm the gospel and a conservative church and deny the gospel. Just as you can be a, a conservative church that embraces the gospel and a progressive church that denies the gospel. It is all over. People like easy, nice, neat answers and things aren't that clear and clean and they're messy and they're nuanced.
1: But I'll say this. It is just as heretical it is just as heretical to deny the scripture and affirm,
0: uh, and affirm you know, things that God calls evil as good as it is to be embracing Christian nationalism and insurrection and violence and hatred. And the amount of racism that I see in some parts of the church, and they say, how can you, how can you be friends with those Christians over there? They haven't taken the log out of their own eye, to quote Jesus. They're so concerned
1: about the speck in their brother or sister's eye. God is calling people out and saying, come be part of my true family.
0: Now, is Faith on Hill the only true church? No, I don't believe so. Not for a minute. There are fantastic
1: churches all around this community. And I'm so thankful for them. But I do believe that there are Christians that are among
0: false faiths, false believers, and God is calling people out. And maybe that's you.
1: And there's the invitation to come and be with God's people wherever you find them. Then it says in verse 6, remember God has remembered her crimes and he says, give back to her as she has given. Pay her back
0: double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. For give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury that she gave to herself. So you might look around at these Institutions, these organizations that have taken glory and luxury and power. And God says, give them
1: double the torment for what they have taken, for what they should have given to others that they took on themselves. All right, there'll be a judgment. In her heart,
0: she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I'm not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine, and she will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God Almighty who judges her. Now, it could be when it says in one day, it's just quickly. Like, you know, we've, we sit and we say, oh, I'll never come down. And then over this, like, season, we'll say, oh, that was the day of judgment for you. And we could understand that metaphorically. It could literally be that wherever this center of
1: power is for this false system, in that day, one day, it will be obliterated, unclear. Verse
0: 9, the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning. They will weep and mourn. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry. Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city Babylon. In one hour, your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood, and articles of every kind of ivory and costly wood and bronze and iron and marble, cargoes of cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine and olive oil, a fine flour of wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and
1: carriages and human beings sold as slaves. They will say, the fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your
0: luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things, gained their wealth from her, will stand far off. Terrified at their torment, they will weep, and they will mourn, and they will cry out, Woe! Woe to you, great city, dressed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls! In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain, all who travel by ship, the sailors, all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like the great city? And they will throw dust on their heads, and with weeping and mourning, they will cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, where all the ships, or all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth, and in one hour she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice over you, people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her with the judgments that she
1: imposed on you. Remember that this system and its, you know, kind of spiritual forebearers, are the ones who brought death and destruction to the people of God.
0: They killed all who stood firm in their testimony of Jesus. And now God is bringing justice to them. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea. And he said, With such violence the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harps and musicians, pipers and trumpeters will never be heard in you again nor worker of any trade found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of the bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's important people, but your magic spell, by your magic spell all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of
1: prophets and of God's holy people, all of whom have been slaughtered on the earth. This is speaking of the finality of this judgment.
0: This isn't like before where God has judged a city or a people or a place and said, your wickedness cannot go on anymore, but then something rises again. Babylon existed and it is not, and it will in some way, shape, or form rise again. But God says, no more. You will not rise from the ashes. This judgment is final. There will be an end to these things.
1: Now, you might say, okay, that's something for the future. What does that speak to me now? Again, there is a call to Christians to leave false faith, including institutional
0: organizations that call themselves the church, but are not, and to come and find true believers, to be in churches that are all about Jesus and the gospel and the Bible and about the love of God and the forgiveness of sins, and about surrendering ourselves to the victorious work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm describing a lot of churches there, so don't think that I'm saying, oh, Adam's trying to start a cult. Come out of those other churches, come to Faith on Hill, it's the only one.
1: Far from it. But there is a call for us to come out, and to take ourselves from the maddening wine of the adulteries of this
0: world, To take ourselves from the sins of this world and to recognize
1: the truth and the righteousness and the holiness of God. I also think there's something bigger to consider here as well. Think about this.
0: Babylon is a city that's only interesting to ancient historians. And it's a kind of a cool sounding name. And every so often, you know, in a movie or a book they'll use it because it's this ancient, mysterious name. But it's something that was and is not and will be again. And whether it's literally the city of Babylon rebuilt, whether it is Rome coming to prominence again, it's interesting, just yesterday, totally unrelated to preparing for this Bible study, I heard somebody talking about Rome and Italy and how it's basically only good for tourists who are interested in history and like spaghetti. But otherwise, it's it's a finished people. It's a finished country. Like, there's no power there. It's got a terrible economy. It's got a broken political system. It's it is no, if you're looking to the future, you don't go look in Rome. And yet, the Bible says it's very possible that Rome will be a place of prominence
1: and world importance again. It's insane to think about, but that's a, a thought that's thrown out there. The Bible makes certain claims about the future, about human society, and, and that
0: Israel would be in the land again and that. The, the people of Israel will, will be in Jerusalem. And if you had read the Bible even, what, 100, 150 years ago? And saw that, you would have said, that's crazy. That's not going to happen. Well, never before in human history has a people group been scattered and then 2,000 years later returned to their homeland. It does not
1: happen. And it happened in 1948. And they took Jerusalem back in the 60s. And... These things that have never happened before have happened. And these other things, I believe, will happen too. We have these ideas right now.
0: I don't want to bore you with like geopolitics, but right now, all of the geopolitical thinkers are talking about segmentation. That means this, the, the idea is that the era of globalism is gone. You know, China and, and the US are in this functional, like um, kind of quiet economic war. There's open hostility with Russia. Globalism is gone, and it's going to be replaced with regionalism. And yet the Bible's claiming that globalism is the kind of the end goal. It's the the natural conclusion to the rebellion of man. Russia factors in a little bit in some uh, end times prophecies in the book of Ezekiel. And I remember in the early 90s when the Soviet Union fell and Russia was a joke and everybody's like, well, they're done. And I remember reading uh, somebody who said, you know what, it doesn't matter whether it's called the Soviet Union, it's called Russia, it's called something else. The Bible talks about the rulers of Moscow. And a different name, but I don't want to get into it, but follow me on this. The Bible talks about them rising and having an important place in the last days. And then over the last 20 years, we've seen the return and the rise of Russia. And maybe nothing will come of it this time, and they'll go down again, and people say, oh, they're done, but they'll rise again. Because God has said things will happen, and when it's the right time, they will happen. So that's something for
1: us to think about. And I want to close with this. Right now, in America, people say, faith is done. Has God said that? Right now, in
0: America, we say, secularism, atheism is on the rise.
1: Is that what God says? This is the way we are going. We want to be on the right side of history. There's what we think is going to happen, and there's what God has said will happen. And one way or the other, what God has said will happen,
0: will happen. God is calling people. God is doing His work. Jesus saves souls. The Holy Spirit is still calling people. Don't think just because it looks like things are going one way that they won't ultimately bend themselves and align themselves with the plans of God. If you are watching this and you have been involved in false faith. God is calling you, come out and come be part of the people of God. If you aren't a believer of any sort, but you
1: say, hey, you know what? I think I need to find out about Jesus. Reach out, ask questions. God hears your prayers right where
0: you are at. And if you're a Christian, but you say, you know what? I've been I've been drinking a little bit from the wine of the adulteries of this world and maybe it's literally through drinking too much and maybe it's through some other, uh, some other way of, of just giving ourselves to the world and I need to get things right.
1: God hears your prayers right where you're at. Come out of her. Come out of this world. Reject the adulteries and the, the
0: sins that destroy people because Jesus has given us the better way and Jesus is the better way. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday, and we'll see you this week in the small groups.